2: I mean, how is it
1: even okay? I know, but how is it even okay that companies can create something for women and AFAB people that can cause endometriosis and cancer? It's just ridiculous.
3: This is episode 157. Hello and welcome to my podcast show, your coach, Helen Yuskovik. This is the Smart Chat series. This is an episode where I chat to an expert or a thought leader from around the world on a certain topic. Hello and welcome to part two of this two-part series. If you haven't heard last week's episode, I highly recommend that you go on over and listen to that first before you jump into today's episode so that you can get an understanding of the foundational things that you need to know first when it comes to women's health. And get ready for today's episode. It's such a goodie. I hope you love it just as much as I do. Here we go. And now there's all of this research and information to say, the chemicals that are in these products, and that there are some healthier alternatives to tampons. I would love to ask you why we should be cautious of tampons.
1: Such a good question. And this is something that, like, I really learned about, like, whilst researching for this book. And so, you know, the information in the book blew me away. I mean, you know, you kind of, have a sense of some of it but the actual numbers are like quite surprising so I guess first of all probably most of us know that there are alternatives now you know we've got menstrual cups we've got reusable pads we've got menstrual discs I personally really love period undies I just think it's the best thing that's ever been created like genius (laughs) and I also want to acknowledge that you know tampons and disposable pads are still actually they are still an important thing that we do need because financially that's what works for some people still but also if if you're someone who doesn't have easy access to running water then you really need to be able to have access to disposable products so you know yeah. I really just want to make sure that that's clear that you know we can't all have these alternatives and that's okay but I guess it's about like we're looking for a majority here because they yeah. they can just be so detrimental to our body and to the planet. So I've actually got the stats written out here because I just wanted to get it right. But there are 20 billion disposable pads and tampons that end up in landfill fill every year, which is actually pretty wild when you think about the fact that we really only use them for a few hours and that's happening every year. And (laughs) okay. So for organic tampons, they take about six months to five years to biodegrade, but for non-organic tampons, they take 500 to 1000 years to break down and we've got 20 billion of them going into landfill every single year so this also means that every single tampon that's well apart from the the um, organic ones but every single non-organic tampon that's ever been made still exists on the planet um (laughs) it's a pretty wild thing to think about um and yeah disposable pads take 500 to 800 years to biodegrade as well so a big
3: problem
1: there, but yeah. But do you know I just
3: wish that I wish that third world countries had access to things like period undies because mm. I haven't spent money on pads and tampons for years and I feel like I've gained, I've saved money as a result yes. of that.
1: Yes. So it's that it's initial output that is off putting or is actually a struggle for some people. But that's there's fantastic organizations that you donate to as well. I, I don't know any off the top of my head, but mm. uh, that you can donate to that actually donate period undies and things like that to So um, amazing. Yeah, and to communities buy that really gift. need them. For your friends. Yes, such a good gift. Yes, the best because
3: so people don't want to spend that twenty dollars on the period, Andy, mm-hmm. or the twenty-five dollars on the period, Andy, but you'd buy it as a gift. Yeah, hundred
1: percent. Such yeah. a good point. Uh, but yeah, tampons they also affect us. So you know the the way that tampons work is. By absorption and so they can actually really dry out and, and change the microbiome of the vagina like there's a whole microbiome of good bacteria wow. in our vagina and when we use tampons it can mess with that which increases our chances of infection so yes if you're someone using tampons and you're getting lots of infections then that's definitely a consideration they can also cause cramping I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life I never used to know this this was actually the beginning of me starting to learn about this yeah. about period no products was, you know, I would get I, I was never someone who had debilitating pain, or it sort of did get a little bit that way. Day one of my period would be a re, you know, I'd really feel it. And then I just made a friend who um, just didn't like tampons. She used reusable pads and she was like, it helped with me with my period pain. And so then I tried it out. I didn't buy reusable pads, I just you bought disposable pads at the time, and I had zero period pain. I'm talking zero period pain. Like they really, and that that was me being like, okay, I don't want to go back to this. And that's where I stopped using tampons and I actually... I just began using pads, disposable pads. This was years ago and I've never really used tampons since. just made such a difference for me. But, yeah, they also contain bleach and bleach, a byproduct yes. of bleach is dioxins, which are a carcinogen, and they've been shown that they can cause cancer and endometriosis. Yep. So, and I we're mean, how is it even okay? I know. Yeah. But how is it even okay that companies can create something for women and afab people that can cause endometriosis and cancer like it's just ridiculous but yeah yeah, in terms of the earth i mean we've talked about how long they take to biodegrade but also when they're disposed of the chemicals in the tampons soak in to the earth and they actually pollute our groundwater and our air so it's a real yep. problem plus they're made from cotton and growing cotton requires so much more water in comparison to other crops so wow there's a lot of it's reasons why so crazy. Can be good to transfer
3: over yeah and then there's toxic shock syndrome and then there's all yeah, sorts of, yeah, of things course. and it's like wow yeah once I learned that I was like look at what I'm inserting wow mm. let's stop doing that and let's try different things I tried the menstrual cup failed <laughs> epically yeah <laughs> And then I got, yeah, the the pads that you could just wash yourself afterwards. They yep. were great. And then, yep. period, Undies came out. And I was like, Yes. Hallelujah. This is so I know. crazy. I wish I had these when I was at school. Yeah. Alyssa, it's time for your second curveball. Are you ready to oh play? Yes. She's taking a sip of tea. All right. Your second curveball is what is something interesting? that most people don't know about you? Oh,
1: that's a hard one. That's one of those ones where you're like, my mind is blanking.
2: Um,
1: I'm a singer, maybe that one, and a voiceover no
3: artist. No <laughs> way. What sort yeah, of Maybe styles? that's a bit boring.
1: No? Uh, I'm one of those singers who I just love singing, so I'll sing a lot of different stuff, but I really love jazz. I love to write music, so I like to just sing whatever comes out of me. Um, but you know, I'll also love to do some musical theater. I've also been a – I stopped, stopped about two years ago, but I've been a singing teacher for a long time as well. And, you know, I, you know, I get into all that musical theater stuff
3: as well. That's so cool. <laughs> What's yeah, your favorite yeah. song to sing? What's your go to song?
1: Um, Oh, God, that's really hard, to Okay, so
2: hard.
1: there's, I guess, a couple. There's one, I, I feel like this one misrepresents me a little bit, but it's this old jazz standard um, called God Bless the Child. Um, I'm not a religious person at all, but yeah. it's just an incredible, beautiful, beautiful song, and I just love to sing it over and over and over. So um, God and Bless then the Child. Th- God Bless the Child, Billie Holiday. It's really, really special song. You should um, totally
3: sing us a line.
1: I'm not going to. <laughs> I will never. <laughs> uh, I, on my own podcast, Bridget has said that to me multiple times, my co-host, and I'm like, no. She's like, you should, like, sing our, like, introduction song or something. I'm like, I'm never going to. It's not That's
3: happening. That's so funny. I've got to find the song and I'll insert it right here, guys.
1: <laughs> I pretend it's me. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's um, so yeah. And I'm cool. a voiceover artist. So, you know, I like, sometimes you might hear me on an ad or something.
3: <laughs> I love that. See, this no, is mostly, so interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's why I love anyway, asking this question.
0: Let's talk,
3: one. let's talk about endometriosis. Okay. How is it caused? Is it something that us girls are just born with and, and, if we do have it, we'll get it. Uh, how do we treat it?
1: This is a huge question. You know, know, you could have ten episodes on it. It's such a, it's such a complex chronic condition. Okay, so what is it? Uh, endometriosis. It's it's the growth of lesions that are made of a tissue that's similar to the lining of our uterus but not the same, Uh, but it it grows outside of the uterus so it can grow on um, organs like our ovaries, on our fallopian tubes, our intestines, our bowel, the bladder, and basically our our immune system responds to these lesions unfortunately by with with inflammation and by promoting which, which promotes their growth and um so it's not a hormonal condition that's a bit of a misconception it's not like you can balance your hormones and heal your endometriosis but endometriosis is affected by hormones so the hormones of our menstrual cycle and so when you get your period that that hormonal interplay can actually cause the lesions to bleed as well which is why it can be so debilitatingly painful yeah it affects about 10 percent um of women and people who are afab so it's you know it's pretty prolific and as i said before it it takes a really really long time to get a diagnosis sometimes and a big part of that is medical gaslighting you know it's it's people showing up to the doctor saying i am in you know debilitating pain when i get my period and the doctor being like well that's being a woman like that's just what it is when that's just not the case if you're having anything more than mild period pain it's something to talk to your doctor about doesn't mean it necessarily endometriosis but it can mean a hormonal imbalance or adenomyosis there's a lot of different things that it could be in terms of what causes it, you know, this is one of those conditions where everyone's still learning. Everyone's still learning about it, and research is still building, and that understanding is still building. But what they know is that it can be a combination of a few different things. So it can it can be genetics if it's in your family. I think okay. It, I think the start maybe don't quote me on this, but it's about seven to ten times, or well, seven to eight more times, more likely um, to have it if it's in your immediate family. Okay. Toxins can be a contributor here. So toxins found in plastics in rubbers and also in non-organic food, which just sucks because it's really hard to avoid non-organic yeah. uh, avoid non-organic food. Um leaky gut can, can be a contributor. So that's where wow. in our gut, the actual lining of our gut um begins to kind of get little gaps in it. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, but get, get little gaps in it and yeah. actual, like little molecules can leak out of our gut and into our, into our immune system, actually, where our immune system is born. And, yeah. um, so that can be a contributing factor. If you have an allergy to nickel, that could be a contributing factor. So if you've ever ha- tried like cheap jewelry, if cheap jewelry makes your ears sore or itchy and like uncomfortable, it can be an indicator. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. It can be an indicator of, um, of a nickel allergy. And, that can contribute to endometriosis way. Yeah. Um, there can be, uh, some dysfunction in our immune cells that can, um, that can lead to it. And also, uh, bacterial toxin overgrowth in the pelvis. There's a specific bacteria there that if it overgrows, it can contribute to endometriosis. So that's very complicated, right? Like that's, you know, that's every single one of those points, like you could just, you know, learn a lot about. And I mean, Endometriosis is certainly not my like expertise. That's not something that I know mm. thoroughly. I don't have it myself, and you know, I haven't written whole books on it or anything. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still learning so much, obviously, about it as well. But
3: I find mm. that um, what well, I used to get confused with endometriosis and PCOS. So, mm. what about polycystic ovarian syndrome? What's the difference? How does one get? polycystic ovarian Mm. syndrome and and can it be treated?
1: Yeah, they're actually really different conditions. However, there's a lot of people who have a crossover of having both. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I will just say with endometriosis just really quickly, um, just on the treatment front, is that... You know, the top line of defense there is excision surgery. So it's to actually have surgery to remove the lesions. And whether you take a Western medicine approach to to health or a natural approach, everyone's in agreement there that excision surgery is the best approach. However, in about 50% of cases, the lesions grow back within five years. So it's about how you manage your endometriosis after you've had that surgery. And the conventional method is hormonal birth control. However, you know, hormonal birth control has its own side effects and it's it's not an option if you're trying to conceive. Mm. So then, you know, it's, there is a natural approach. Absolutely. And it's about supporting your gut health, your immune health, um, and reducing inflammation. And, and also specifically, if you have that nickel jewelry issue there, like that nickel allergy, reducing foods that have nickel in them, um, as Mm. well. And so, yeah, healing the gut, removing any foods that you have a sensitivity to. And then there's some fantastic supplements like zinc, selenium, and acetylcysteine turmeric, curcumin, berberine. There's some really fantastic things there. If you have endometriosis and you're not getting support and you're listening to this, I highly encourage you to consider talking to a natural health practitioner because there really are so many options for helping to manage it. But in terms of PCOS, so mm. PCOS um, affects about ten to twenty percent of women and um, people who yeah. are AFAB. And what causes it? Um, there's a there's a range. Again, it can be genetics. Um, it can also be developmental. So if when you were in the womb, if your mum was exposed to a lot of toxins, or if she herself had a lot of androgens, which is the typical male mm-hmm. hormones then developmentally in the womb is when that can kind of you can have that predisposition to it but then there are also there are contributing factors that really drive it so there are there's insulin resistance um, which again we could talk about a mm-hmm. lot there's inflammation stress really drives it that's a big one for wow. me personally wow. gut issues so leaky yep. gut again i mean Honestly, if you talk to an Ayurvedic practitioner like you have, you and and a lot of practitioners honestly, a lot of people really believe that that most chronic illness, most issues, really begin in the gut. That's really yep. where our health is like it's the basis of our health, and that makes so, sense because that's where we consume yes. everything that builds our body. The other thing that can contribute to um, PCOS is thyroid issues as well. And then in terms of treatment, I mean there's, there's so many different approaches. I'm I'm a big believer in sharing that like, we are all different, you know, one thing isn't going to affect all of us the same, you know, there's not some magic pill that'll affect us all the same. And, but there's also so many, so many options for PCOS and so many people don't understand that they haven't been told that yet. You know, there is Western medicine. However, Western medicine, honestly, it is very, it's quite limited when it comes to PCOS. And, and none of its medicines actually address the root to try to heal you from the ground up. It's more mm. of a band aid. Um, but in terms of natural medicine, you can turn to Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, a naturopath, functional medicine practitioner, and they've got so many herbs and supplements for us. But it really is about addressing what your driver is, finding what your driver is. And then addressing it. And mm. also my approach is to simultaneously address your hormonal imbalances. And so with PCOS, if, if you are listening and you have PCOS, the very first step that I, that I always say is to get very thorough testing done and you can get it from your GP. You might hit a wall with them. They might say no. They might not mm. be interested in talking to you at all. It happens so much in our community, unfortunately, but they're out there. There are good ones out there and you really want to try and Try and get as many hormones tested as you can. I have actually a free guide on my website. It's like a PCOS supplements guide. And in that guide, on page three of that guide, there's a list of all the different hormones um, and blood tests that we want to get tested. Um, And if you can get as many of those as you can, what you'll get is a really clear picture of One, what hormones are out of balance and two, what is actually driving your PCOS and then you treat from there.
3: That's so cool. I would love to put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll provide it for you. I'll give it to you. Yeah, so everybody can grab a copy. And I think that after reading your book, like your wellness journal is a great place to start as well. Just because I'm excited to start, (laughs) you get to get more (laughs) in touch with your body, with your flow, Mm. and you start to understand, oh, okay, on this day, this happened, or on this day, that happened. And I think it's going to be such a great experiment and a great tool to use, especially on, yeah, the journey that I'm on at the moment. Yeah, that's exciting. (laughs) Melissa, it's time for your third curveball. Are you ready to play? Yes. (laughs) And your final curveball is I'm a mindset coach (laughs) and I love hearing about how people navigate different mindsets. So my question Mm -hmm. to you is how do you navigate from a negative mindset to a positive mindset? what do you do?
1: Okay. There's a few different things that are coming to mind for me. One is I Mm -hmm. have a mantra. So I think sometimes that's what works for me. It depends what, you know, negative mindset could be a few different things for me. (laughs) But I, I think the thing that I could probably speak more to is that negative mindset that is like anxiety. So sometimes, like the way I describe my anxiety when I have it is mm. it's like a spiral. It's racing thoughts that I'm just like getting down in the trenches in this spiral of just catastrophe. And I had it at it was really bad when I was pregnant with my second baby, actually, I had really wow. bad pregnancy anxiety because there was a couple of issues in that pregnancy and I just – I just really didn't know if I would if I would get to see her at the end of it. Right. And so I was freaking out. <laughs> and, and then I was freaking out about freaking out because I was pregnant and you don't want to be freaking out when you're pregnant. And I realized um, there was just this one word and it, yeah, it's a little bit like, I don't know, it's a, maybe people think it'll sound a bit lame or something, but it just helped me so much. And the word was gentle. And what it would do, I would just say, I just honestly just say that word to myself. And it was like this button and it mm-hmm. would, because it had so many meanings for me, it was like, okay, think the thoughts, think these i wor- have these worries. They're not going away. Like it's, it's realistic. She actually might be stillborn. She actually, you might have a late term miscarriage. Like these are actually risk factors for you so that those fears aren't going away, but just just think them more gently and so what it would do it would make me slow down the way i would say these thoughts and it would also change the tone of voice in my head of how I was talking to myself, you know, because when I'm catastrophizing, I'm really intense. Like it's such an intense feeling when you've got that kind of anxiety and gentle felt like the opposite of intense. So I would slow down my words, the tone of voice in my head would relax and I would be more gentle to myself too. So I was more kinder to myself. So it was this kind of layered meaning to this one word. And it was like a key for me. It would just unlock it and it would chill me out a lot. And I use it to this day yeah it's that's amazing that's
3: a great for key for me I, oh, I, I <laughs> yeah lots of clients <laughs> with anxiety and that word gentle mm.
1: yeah
3: it can just do so much to your mindset that mm. uh, that language amazing
1: yeah and it doesn't take away like it doesn't try to force you to stop thinking those thoughts because that can make things worse for me like you know it's then it's like uh it's like, no, you know, have the fears, just be more ch- chill about it. <laughs> and yeah, so. I've actually, I've, I have shared that before um, with, cause I'm a coach too, but a PCOS fertility coach. And I've shared that with some of my clients and it, yeah, it seems to always hit and land for them. So yeah, it's a good one, I think. <laughs>
3: it's amazing. I would love to just pick your brain a little bit. Maybe I'll bring her back on the show, guys. There's so much I want to ask you. <laughs> so much have... that I could say. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't shut pick... up. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, I wanna pick your brain about the three pillars of fertility. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Could you run some of that? Yeah. I love it too. (laughs) Guys, everything is in her book. I'll put her links in the show notes. You've got to get it. It's so insightful and you just drop in so much amazing information in an easy way to understand and read. Thank you. um, Power to you. Thanks, man. Like
1: That's honestly my goal with it is to make it really easy to read and digest and understand. So thanks. That means a lot. And, yeah, I do. I go into these three pillars of fertility, and this is my jam because, I mean, I'm a PCOS fertility coach, so fertility is the thing I talk about every day. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been on my own fertility journey, and obviously you know, with my own podcasts and the books, you know, I've, I've read a lot about fertility. I've spoken to a lot of experts and what I really discovered from it all is that I, you know, this idea that there's these three pillars of fertility and, and one of them I think is really overlooked. The first one is ovulation. We have to be ovulating. If we're not ovulating, we can't conceive. Ooh. So if you are having a long cycle or if you're having a very short cycle, then I would be investigating ovulation and confirming if it's happening. So this, again, is hormone testing is a big part of it. Um, But one of the big things we can do is when you think you've ovulated, so you, you you, you think, okay, I think this is ovulation, then seven days after that you want to get a blood test of progesterone because progesterone rises after ovulation and it peaks around seven days later. So you want to get your progesterone tested then. And if it's nice and high, it's a really nice confirmation that you did ovulate. And if it's not, then it's no. it's a real indication that you haven't ovulated and that we need to investigate further. And another thing that we can do is take our basal body temperature. So after we ovulate, we begin producing progesterone, as I just mentioned, and that progesterone actually... Um, it warms our body, a very small amount, and you can buy a basal body thermometer, which um, is just a normal thermometer except that it goes to two decimal places. So instead of saying that your temperature is 36.7, it'll say 36.78. And because this is how minuscule the, the rise of temperature is, we need those two numbers. And so, yeah, after you ovulate, you're going to, uh, within, within three days after ovulation, you're going to see your temperature rise and then you're going to see it, st- you know, it'll, it'll, you know, differ a little bit each day, but it's going yeah. to stay high, higher than it was before ovulation all the way through until a day or two before you get your period. Or if you're pregnant, it will continue to stay high. So that's another like sort of home DIY way to look at your fertility and look to see if you're ovulating. And if you're trying to conceive, I do encourage you to consider doing it even just for a cycle or two, just to see what your norm is. That can be It can be really good data for you, but also for your doctors if you end up needing to see a doctor about it. So ovulation is really, really key. You need to be ovulating. And if you're not, that, that absolutely has to be the biggest focus for you. You've got to be really making sure that you're ovulating. And I I could literally talk about ovulation for hours. Um,
3: there's so much that. more to it. <laughs> the second, yeah. I just mm. want to butt in, uh, if you are listening and you aren't ovulating, don't lose hope because mm. I have had many friends that have been on this journey where they've had no hope but then they've turned to different sorts of therapies and alternative methods and everyone has babies now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: There, there's so much you can do for ovulation. Absolutely. If you're not ovulating, it's a hormonal imbalance. We just need to find out what your hormones are doing. We need to find out what's driving them out of balance. And then there mm. are very clear protocols and specific medicines that can address each of those things very specifically um and and it's effective it's really really effective and I, i've done it myself as well you know i've got pcos so you know my body living struggles, proof. i am living proof and um, i'm not the only one there's you know we can absolutely work on this and as you say there are so many fantastic therapies that can help us with this Thank you. Um, the other, the second pillar of fertility is egg health. So we really want to be making sure that the actual quality of our eggs is really strong. There's definitely things that we can't affect about our egg health. We cannot change the chromosomes of our eggs and, um, you know, it's very normal that everybody sometimes has eggs that have got some chromosomal issues and you just cannot get pregnant with that egg. It's just not possible. Um, however, we can affect the quality of the egg. And so when we ovulate an egg, it's actually been on this like, well, we're actually born with all the eggs that we're going to have throughout our life. But they've actually begun this sort of maturation process leading to ovulation about 90 days before ovulation. And it's in those 90 days that we can have an impact on the quality of those eggs. So uh-huh. th- there are certainly things that can be damaging to eggs. And this is kind of my least favorite part of like talking about health. Cause I really don't like telling people like what they, you know, should shouldn't eat or, you know, any of that. Yeah. I'm very much a person about adding in what's good yeah. rather than <laughs> worrying about removing too this. much. Yeah. yeah. But you know, there's some obvious things there like smoking and drinking lots of alcohol that can be damaging to eggs and lots of stress can be damaging. And Stress it is, is that thing, isn't it? It's just, it is. But also lots of like packaged foods, you know, really like if we're drinking heaps of soft drink or soda, you know, that can have an impact as well. And none of this, with health, like honestly, it's never about perfection, is it? Like it's, it's absolutely about just taking steps, realistic steps that yep. are sustainable and, you know, doing the best that you can. Um, but there are things that we can add in to really help our egg health as well. So healthy fats are fantastic. Um, really antioxidant-rich foods are really good. We There's also incredible supplements that can help us. So um, coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10 is a really good one. It really helps the mitochondria of the egg, which is what um, gives the egg energy, it gives it the energy to exist and to grow and develop. So it's really important. And CloQ10 is um, probably the most popular kind of supplement for helping with that. Zinc is really fantastic. It's fantastic because if we have a zinc deficiency, this can be very detrimental to the ability for the egg to actually develop. So you want to make sure that you've got enough zinc in your body so that the the egg can actually mature and um, and divide and grow into an embryo. Um, zinc is also really helpful for the embryo to be able to grow. And then selenium is another really good supplement as well because it actually, like the egg. The eggs actually exist within something called a follicle and between the egg and the walls of the follicle is this follicular fluid and selenium helps that follicular fluid be really healthy and abundant. There's also other supplements, absolutely, but those are three like real standout ones. And so, yeah, like just knowing that like, you know, if you're planning to conceive in the future, I mean, the sooner you can kind of start on this stuff, the better, especially ovulation. Like if you know you'll even want to conceive in a couple of years and you know that you've got a long cycle, you can start now. You can start working on that stuff now so that by the time you get there, like things are really in a good place. And it's true for egg health as well, but certainly... You know, that 90 days or that three months prior to trying to conceive, you want to at least be sort of thinking about your egg health then. Um, and just trying to, yeah, you know, just make those eggs as healthy as can be. Um, because also, the other thing is like, if you don't have a healthy eggs, that can have this flow on effect to our progesterone levels. It can cause low progesterone, mm. and then low progesterone can have this flow on effect to all our other hormones. So, Prioritizing egg health is a good one for for ovulation actually as well. And then the third pillar of fertility is um, the actual reproductive environment. So it's the actual quality of our reproductive organs, so our uterus, our fallopian tubes, our ovaries. And this is, I think, overlooked a lot. It's not talked about enough. I mean, if you turn to um, Ayurveda in Chinese medicine, it's talked about plenty but I just don't think it's addressed everywhere else enough and it's so important because this is what leads back to our earlier conversation about stagnation. If we have stagnation down there, it can just be harder for the egg to actually implant. We really want to have these organs being as healthy as possible. We want them to be fresh and clean and when you have your period, you want that to be a real cleansing. You You want everything to be coming out really healthily, because we want that uterine lining to be like really nice and healthy for an egg to implant. If it's really stagnant and it's full of fibroids and polyps, like this is going to be harder for the egg to implant. And the other thing is that eggs also really like oxygen and that's where they're housed. So we want to send as much blood flow to the area and get as much oxygen to those organs and those eggs as we can. And that's where we're talking earlier about heat packs, Self-fertility massage is great or you can go and get an actual fertility massage from a fertility massage therapist and it's really cool because they'll often also give you some home little tips as well that you can do on yourself. Yeah, a fertility massage is incredible. It can really do help you- with so many do, things do you do fertility massage on yourself self i did when i was in my fertility journeys i have only just started very very recently like i'm talking like 2 weeks ago beginning again and i'm not I don't want any to have any more children. Like that part is gone, but it's also just a really nice way to connect with your body. Like you just, it's just like a massage of your lower abdomen. You can use specific techniques. You can, you can look on YouTube. There are also Mm. some like videos you can purchase, um, to teach you about it. I mean, the best thing you could do is go to a fertility massage therapist and get them to give you some pointers. But even for me, it's more just like a pretty general, like lower abdomen, belly rub. What you're trying to do is um massage attracts blood that's what it does if you yes. actually we can't do it cuz we've got our headphones on but if you massage your ear for even like 10 or 20 seconds then about 10 or 20 seconds after you've done it your ear will suddenly get really warm and sort of tingly yes. it's a really nice sensation it's actually blood flowing into your ear and i think that's just a really nice Quick, easy example of like how effective massage is in drawing blood. And so if you massage your lower abdomen, you're doing the same thing. Blood is going to flow there and that's going to be so, so good for those organs. Um, And it feels nice. You know, you could just be a few minutes. So when I was on my own fertility journey for both of my children, I did this religiously. I did it almost every night, five minutes, you know, just a little five minute self care moment where I would do a little massage and It just connected me with my body, slowed me down and felt like I was really having a part to play in my fertility too. And another really good one for this is, um, legs up the wall pose. It's a yoga pose. Yes. Yes, Where you sent, you lay on the ground and then you put your legs up. You don't have to be against the wall, but if you are against the wall, it's just very easy easy pose. And what's happening there is like the blood is just, it's, it's. like um what's the word (laughs) it's flowing out of your legs really and it's just sort of pooling in your lower abdomen and then you stand up and it's like it's like this real flushing of the area yeah and then there's raspberry leaf tea that can be helpful as well raspberry leaf tea awesome i'll try to
3: find a link to a fertility massage for the show nights guys that's yeah absolutely yeah i'll try and help you out with that as well thank you i do a lot of self massage oh Um, cool yeah But, yeah, fertility self-massage sounds amazing too.
1: Well, if you've already got that habit of self-massage, then you can just quite easily incorporate that then.
3: Yeah, I want to just see if I'm missing something. Thank you so much for all of this information today, Mel. You're so welcome. amazing but before we go I'd love to ask you if there is anything at all that you would love to share
1: absolutely yes so of course I'm gonna like (laughs) self-promote um yeah my book goes into all of this stuff and plus so much more as you would have seen like you know it covers self-care fertility hormones the thyroid gut health mental health it's very all-encompassing book but very easy to use and it's a journal so it's about learning about yourself as well and you can get it in terms of in bookstores, you can get it across Australia, the US, the UK, Canada, and New Zealand, but you can also get it online from Booktopia, Amazon, and there's a bunch of retailers online selling it um, worldwide. But, yeah, as I mentioned before too, I'm a PCOS fertility coach, so that's yes. sort of the main thing that I do if you're listening to this and you know, you're on a journey with regulating your cycles to conceive or you're trying to conceive already then, and you want some help and some, you know, just someone in your corner, like that's what Mm. it is. You know, it's really about having someone in your corner. Then I would absolutely love to work with you. I've got a couple of different ways that I work. I've got a group coaching circle that I run. Um, and that's kind of like a cancel anytime subscription. And I've Created a um, discount code for you guys. So Yay. if you use the discount code whole health love, so H O L health love, you'll get the first three weeks free. Um, wow. we, we meet every week, every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do one to one coaching as well. So, um, and one of those that I offer is like a 2.5 hour like PCOS fertility roadmap session where we really like, if there's anything about me, it's that I'm very thorough. So, you know, I really look at absolutely every element of your fertility and we really try to make a plan and make sure that everything is being addressed. And we right. really create a clear path to getting pregnant and getting you in the best position possible to be pregnant. So, um, if that appeals to you, I've also made a discount code for that and that's whole health 30 and that'll give you 30% off. That's so H O L. H-E-A-L-T-H-30.
3: Thank you so much. I can't wait. And I'm sure that you're serving so many people at the moment. I'm sure that you're helping so many women, helping to debunk myths, helping women have faith. And hope when it comes to their cycles and fertility, obviously, or if they have any hormonal issues like PCOS or endometriosis. So on behalf of the world, thank you. And thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so
1: much, Helen. Thank you for having me on this awesome podcast. And you asked such great questions. I love the whole conversation that we had. Like, I'm clearly very passionate about all of this. So it's really nice to be able to have somewhere to talk about it. So thank you.
3: Thank you. I can't wait to start journaling inside your book, so I'll be in Thanks. touch. And- <laughs> I might have to reach out to you on my journey too. Oh my gosh, I would love that.
1: (laughs) I think we're actually going to get off this call and we're probably going to keep talking about that because
3: I'm really interested (laughs) to know where you're at. So funny. right, Mel, thanks again and hopefully we'll get you back on the show sometime soon. Thanks Helen. Wow, what an amazing woman. What an amazing episode. What amazing gold nuggets I got from this last two part series. Melissa has an easy way of shining light to an area of taboo, really, something that we don't really talk openly about. And that's why I really wanted to bring her on the show so that that way we start to have more conversations around this and a lot less shame around this sort of stuff. Because as women, sometimes we can feel alone on our journey and alone with our bloody hormones. So if you're a woman that this show has resonated with, or if you have a friend that might resonate with this last two podcasts please send it to them so that they can have a listen so that they don't ever feel alone and if you ever need anything please feel free to reach out share your thoughts with me on my instagram i'd love to see you there at helen underscore yuskabik and until next week stay beautiful do something for yourself today and make sure that you're smiling and thriving and happy and healthy and moving towards goodness every single day see you next
0: Next week.